Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. Um, every week in preparation for Sunday morning is is a task, and it's a task I really enjoy. But this week has just been a heavy one. It's it's kind of um, it's weighed on me. I've I've done internet searches this week that have um, led me to once again have my eyes open to devastation and to difficulty. And I was telling Brandy last night, um, I'm. Re- I'm ready for us to have a talk. But, but I, want us to, I want us to do so in a couple ways. One, please know this. This morning is not a political position. It is a God position. When we talk about things like abortion and other issues that the world has made political, we do so through and should do so through the lens of Scripture, not internal opinions and preference. And so this is not a political morning, but it is a difficult discussion. It's it's hard to talk about some of the things we talk about because it would be so easy, and we've talked about this over the last few months, it would be easy to find ourselves overwhelmed with the world. But I believe there is hope. And so a few things I want to do this morning. One, I want us to... um, I don't know about you, you know, anybody ever come to you before and said, um, hey, I got good news and bad news. What do you want first? Anybody ever said that? Who likes good news first? Do you want good news first just so then you can walk away from the conversation? I've, I've always wondered. You're just like, give me the good news first. And then as soon as they give you the good news, you just kind of walk off. You're like, all right, I'm done. Um, I think you're six sadistic people. Um, who likes bad news first? Some of you are horrible participants. Who does not want to raise their hand? There we go. Just tell me. Don't even ask. We're going to start with bad news and move toward good news. Is that all right? Here, here, here are the three things I want us to do. I want us to, one, I want to provide a picture this morning regarding the fight that currently exists for the unborn. For the unborn. Because that is the side we are on. Not against. <laughs> we are for. I want us to review the heart that God has regarding life. And by review that, I mean I want us to look here at what God says about life, not what we come up in our own minds about life, it's especially for those who are in the womb. And then finally, I want to describe the way forward, both for the local church as well as individual followers of Jesus when it comes to this thing called the sanctity of life. Because honestly, when we, when, when we get down to it, when we, when we talk about abortion, it can feel like a hopeless situation is before us. So as we kind of paint that picture, let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me share some things with you. Abortion is a grievous act and has an incredible impact on the society and the people that are engaged with it. So individuals that have abortion all the way to the society that supports abortion, it is devastating. And it's devastating because this is, the, this is a delicate balance we want to, a, a, a tension I think we need to hold on to this morning. 
is while we will talk about the devastation of abortion, I want you to hear this. There is a God who is a God of grace, and his grace covers sin. And that is good. And that is something that we must, that's the tension we have to hold on to. But it begins by opening our eyes once again to this grievous act. In 2020, according to the Guttmacher Institute, which by the way, there are a number of individuals that love to throw up numbers as if they are decreasing, but in all reality, they are omitting many numbers out there. When it comes to the CDC, the CD, no state is required to report on their abortion numbers, and there are at least three or four states in this country who do not report their numbers, one of them being the state of California. But the Guttmacher Institute, I think, tries to get down a little bit more. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a Christian organization, but they try to get down more to the real numbers, and they said in 2020, over 930,000 abortions took place in the United States. That number should shock you. It's not the highest it's ever been. In the 1980s and 90s, the number exceeded one and a half million a year in the United States. But contrary to what you might hear on the television, since 2017, abortions have been on the rise. Worldwide, World Health Organization estimates there are 73 million abortions a year. Many of those taking place in undeveloped countries, which means the method of abortion is dangerous and devastating to not just the baby's life who is taken, but to the mother who's having the abortion. To where in some of those countries, upwards of 30 to 40% of those women have to seek medical attention in order to receive care. Because at the end of the day, when you look at the numbers, when you boil it all down, abortion is predominantly a conversation about convenience. This morning is not about focusing our attention on the what about hypotheticals. There are grievous things that happen to people, and many who support abortion want to use those unthinkable situations as a scare tactic in order to get more people on board with supporting abortion. But I believe that's all they are. Please hear me. I believe abortion is always wrong. I believe it is always devastating. I also believe there is always grace. Grace available for people. You see, the reason why I think that those unthinkable situations that those who support abortion are merely a scare tactic is because they are not remotely the norm when it comes to abortion. In 2021, the state of Florida requires individuals to state why they are having an abortion. And in the state of Florida in 2021, 99.699% of all abortions were either elective or a matter of convenience. That 0.301%, which by the way was close to 79,000 abortions, that 
0.01% includes the situations of rape and incest and imminent possible death of a mother. I am not saying any of those are okay. But those are the ones that people, those are the situations where people say, if we don't, think of all the people. No, abortion in many ways, especially in 2023 in the United States of America, it is a choice. (laughs) It is elective. When people have an abortion, it is mostly convenience. And the battle is, or feels like an uphill battle, but I believe it's one worth fighting. If you look at a current map of the abortion restrictions across the United States of America, Illinois is surrounded by states that have said absolutely not. Some of those states are considered the most restrictive when it comes to abortion. But Illinois has bucked that and they have done so in the wrong way. Illinois has become a safe haven, a sanctuary for those who want to have an abortion. In 2020, 52,780 babies were aborted. In the state of Illinois, it is universally legal to have an abortion up until 24 to 26 weeks in pregnancy, which is when a pregnancy is considered viable. In the state of Illinois, one of the reasons why Illinois is considered one of the most unrestrictive is because it does not require the involvement of parents in the decision to have an abortion. And so someone under the age of 18 can consent without parent notification when it comes to an abortion. And in 2020, of the 52,000 abortions that took place, around 10,000 of them were from people from out of state. When you look at those abortions, it's hard not to talk about the baby, at least in church, to consider the baby that's being aborted. Just some things you've probably already heard, but just a good reminder, at five weeks, which by the way, many people, it's around week four or five of pregnancy that they begin to realize that they are pregnant. At five weeks, a tiny heart starts to beat. Six weeks, a baby's nose, mouth, and ears are starting to take shapes. Their intestines and brain are beginning to develop. At week eight, a baby has started moving around, though you won't feel that movement yet. Week 11, baby is almost fully formed. They're kicking, stretching, hiccuping as their diaphragm diaphragm develops. And even then, you can't feel activity yet. By week 12, the baby's reflexes kick in. Their fingers will soon begin to open and close. Toes curl. Their mouth will start making sucking movements. And by the last week of the first trimester, that baby's sweet little fingers have their own unique fingerprint. Abortion is devastating. But there's hope. It's not hopeless. In church, we must be a church of hope. And the reason why there is hope is because God is for life. 
And as long as God is for life, which I believe he always will be, then he is our hope. Not, not people. People are not our hope. Organizations are not our hope. I love the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services. I love what they are about. I love what Paula Joy is willing to champion and the people that are part of her team, which Dara is part of her team, which is all kinds of fun. Which I, I did have to, um, this week I walked into, I'll, I'll, you know, when you're, when you're from the, when you've been in the South before, you have to ask clarifying questions. I walked into Greg's office this week, and I told Paul about this earlier. I walked into Greg's office this week. I said, just to clarify, um, her name is Paula Joy. She's not Paula Joy. You ever been to, anybody tracking what I'm saying? Like, like I have a Kristen Joy. Um, Southerners love double names. I just had to make sure she wasn't a double name. She's not. She's Paula. But it's hard not to call her Paula Joy. It just rolls off the tongue. Now, God is, God is for life, and as Paula reminded us a number of times, God is for life, and we can see that here. Let, let me share some verses that just come to mind and, and, and should grab our hearts when it comes to the consistency of God being for life. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. From the get-go, God was a creating God, not a destroying God. Psalm 139, 13 through 16, some of the most poignant verses when we talk about life. Read this, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you and I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. God knew and knows of life even before life begins. Jeremiah reminds us that in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Psalm 22 verses 9 through 10 says, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb you have been my God. See for the church much of our argument and much of our position is not just that God is for life but really when does life start and life begins the moment that life is conceived. And I'll be honest with you, church, it is good to know that, but that is not our main battle cry. See, the, the goal at the, end of the, at the end of the day is not to convince people that life begins in the womb. Because those who support abortion have dismissed that, and they've said, that's fine. We'll give you that life begins in the womb. It should still be the mother's choice to take that life. There's an article written in a magazine back around 2013, 2014, where the writer of the article boldly proclaimed, I am for life. I believe, I believe life begins at conception and it is still the mother's right to choose because the mother's life is more important than that baby. 
that's just inconsistent with this. And, and that's why we can have hope as we go about this fight. Because if God is for life, then life is worth fighting for. Life is worth supporting. Especially those who are most vulnerable. Think of the people, as we've been even walking through the book of Mark, who are the people that Jesus allowed to capture his attention? The most vulnerable, the most destitute, the most desperate, the most shame-filled. Think of the lepers that were outcasts. Think of the paralytic who was, who was confined to a mat. Think with, about the woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years, she was secluded from the world because they didn't want to have anything to do with her. But Jesus did. And the most vulnerable person on the planet is an unborn baby. They are completely incapable of defending themselves, which is why the church must take a stand and defend. And I love the way Paul said it. We want to defend, but we want to defend as a grace-filled church. Because honestly, at the end of the day, the goal is not to win arguments. The goal should be to speak truth. See, the, we, we paint the dire picture that exists with abortion. We, we reveal that God is a God of hope and his heart is for life. But really, the question then comes down to it, then what are we going to do about it? How can Emmanuel Baptist Church be a place for hope? In a place of hope. Abortion is a grievous act. It is unthinkable. It is devastating. Abortion is sin. We okay with that? But please keep this in mind. There is still hope. There's hope for the women and families who have chosen abortion as their solution. And the reason there is hope is because Jesus did not come to condemn people, but to redeem them. If you were capable of going through life and in the course of your life, only tell one little lie, you would still need God's grace. Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if we are going to be a place of hope, our focus must not be on condemning, but instead telling the truth of redemption. Redemption for those that the world might condemn. Abortion is grievous, but it would also be grievous for us to be a people who are condemning toward those who have had an abortion. Because there is freedom in Jesus. Romans 8, 1 through 2 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's the beauty of the gospel. Is that you can be a despicable, gross, disgusting person and be saved by the grace of God. 
And when it comes to sin, do you know what that makes everyone in this room? At one point, you were a despicable, disgusting, gross person. Congratulations. There's your encouragement for the day. No, but the, the, encouraging, the encouraging side to that is at one point, if you're a follower of Jesus, God took you from being a despicable, disgusting, gross sinner to being a child of his. And that's incredible. That is hope. That is grace. That is where a person is no longer a slave to fear. That is where a person is no longer a slave to shame. But instead, they are a child of God. And so when Jesus says, listen, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, if we are to be a place of hope, we must remove the atmosphere of shame because that is not the end state. Our desire is not for people to reach a time in their life to where they live a life of shame. No, we want people to reach a time in their life to where being convicted by the Holy Spirit, they turn to a Jesus who saves them. Because our mission at the end of the day is not to condemn anyone. It is not to win arguments. It is not to belittle people into submission. No, our mission is to make disciples. And as our mission is to make disciples, the starting point to that mission is a gospel conversation about the good news of salvation. And I don't know about you, but I haven't met many people who had a conversation with someone as they told them how horrible and disgusting of a, of a person that they were, where they turn out on the other side and go, man, I love that conversation, give me Jesus. Yet people need to know that they're sinners. I love what David Platt said one time. He said if he had an hour with someone, there's a, and, and only had an hour with them ever in his entire life, he would spend upwards of 45 minutes letting them, or trying to get them to the point to where they understood that they were a sinner in need of something. But he wouldn't stop there. Now see, because there's hope on the other side of sin when you look to Jesus. There's forgiveness on the other side of sin when you, look for, to, when you turn to Jesus. There is life on the other side of sin when you tur turn to Jesus. Pastor Greg's teaching through Ephesians on Wednesday nights. And I've, I've always thought a good title for an Ephesians series would be The Real Walking Dead. You know, there's a television show called The Walking Dead, but it has nothing on Ephesians 2. Because Ephesians 2 verse 1 tells us that before Christ, we are but walking dead people. But God's about life. No, he wants us to go from walking dead people to alive in Jesus. Because know this, people will reject the conversation about the gospel if they believe you have already condemned them. Now, if Emmanuel is going to be a place of hope, we're going to be a place that removes an atmosphere of shame where people are willing to be open and honest about the stuff that's going in their life because they know that they are surrounded by people who are going to share with them hope and walk with them through the most devastating things. Everywhere at Emmanuel, you see the words live love. It's plastered all over our website. You wear t-shirts that say live love that you got years ago because it's part of who we are. 
which means at every point we must avoid a perception where our message comes across as Jesus loves you, but I don't. We must battle against that. I thank God for the grace that he has shown to me. Anybody else in that camp? Do you thank God for his grace? Then let's strive to be a church of grace. Whereas when I was talking to Pastor Greg about this this week, I love the words he used. He said, may we be lovers of grace. Because I would hope we would all agree that as Emmanuel is a place that removes shame, when an unthinkable thing happens to someone, they don't think they have to run to something like abortion because they won't receive love and support from the people that are here. We will call sin, sin. But we will quickly turn people to God's grace. Emmanuel is a place of hope. I believe it begins with removing an atmosphere of shame, but then it also means supporting life initiatives. Let me, let me run through these. I know it's a little bit longer in the, the morning. I told Pastor Greg, what my, when I clocked my sermon last, it was 180 minutes long. So I'm just messing. That's called, a, that's called a revival meeting, by the way. Some of you haven't been to one of those. Goodness, some of those were long. Holy moly. We'll be here till everyone gets resaved. You ever listen to the, the, the Great Squirrel Revival song? That's, that's good stuff. 500 people got rebaptized, whether they needed it or not. That's just, I knew I'd find a way. I love seeing y'all's teeth. Thanks for smiling. Here's the thing. If we're going to support life initiatives here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, I think we need to champion for the unborn. And as I mean by champion for the unborn, we push against the abortion initiative. Paula Joy shared just a little bit ago, Illinois is willing to pass laws that are anti-life. We must be willing to champion against those laws. Speak against them. That is not political, that is biblical. And to get a little... Just insight, when it comes to separation of church and state, I believe that is a one-way door. The church, God's people are always meant to influence the, the culture in which they live. We must champion for the unborn. We must also resource and, resource and minister to those who need support. See, this is the funny thing. There are a lot of churches out there that are willing to scream and yell about how awful abortion is, yet they are unwilling to come alongside the unwed mother to help her out during that season. That, that doesn't make sense. That runs against each other. That is, that is hypocritical at its core. To the, to the teenage girl that makes a horrible decision, that sins, that gets pregnant, but we say, don't have an abortion, but we don't want you to come to church. No, we have to, we have to support, we have to encourage, we have to resource, we have to find ways to come alongside those, those who are hurting the most to give life a chance. Is that difficult? Yes. Will that get people upset? <laughs> Probably. But remember, Jesus ministered to those who were in greatest need. If we're going to be a church that is about life, we must provide a safe place for worship and a safe place for community. People must be willing to walk through the doors of this church, which I believe is the greatest hospital on the planet, and meet a God who can heal. We must continue to support the financial needs behind pro-life initiatives. This church is going to continue to do so, but also know this, God might have blessed you in a way to where you can support this, and that's one of the things that Paula was talking about, but you can support these on your own, and I encourage you to do so if God leads you. 
We must support foster care, we must support adoption, and we must support those who will participate in those things. Which means we also have to get out the message. We need to raise awareness. You heard her mention Signs for Life. Signs is, I think, $10. $10 to have a sign made that, that lets people know that there's an alternate to abortion, that adoption might be that alternate. There are ways that where we can support this and church so you know as long as I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we will be for life. And I hope you'll join me. It's a weird time to have a time of response. But let me wrap it up with this. It would be silly to think in a room with this many people that there aren't people who have been devastated by this, by abortion. I think one of the things that really kind of amps me up, and, and probably why I spent so much time talking about removing the shame, because I've had so many conversations with women who had abortions, who repented, who went to God, who asked for forgiveness. And their story is, I have been forgiven by God, but the people around me won't let it go. So I don't know where you are this morning, but I'm here to tell you, if you cry out to a holy God to forgive you, he guarantees that he will forgive you and that he will set you free. And if the person next to you doesn't have that same heart, that's a different sin issue they're going to have to deal with. But let God set you free. But, but I think the general response from this whole church is that as we sing here in just a moment, that our heartfelt cry will be, God, tune my heart to the things of you and reveal to me how I can be a part of this. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com.